This is The New Digital Customer, a podcast that brings you insightful and inspiring conversations with customer-focused leaders who are transforming and innovating customer experience. And now your hosts, the CEO of Brightloom, Adam Brotman, and Chief Product Officer, Ben Straley. Hey everyone, this is Adam. And this is Ben. This week, we're going to give you a special treat. This episode was recorded in front of a live video audience at the 2020 NetRush Summit, where Adam and I were invited to talk about effective digital marketing strategies for consumer brands. Hope you enjoy it. As everyone in the audience just heard, Ben, uh, after, after playing an integral role at Starbucks, went on to Amazon, and we're going to talk about marketplaces today a little bit. And so we've got uh, a total expert here in Ben, who's an expert in in, in the subject we're going to cover, so it's a real treat. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to kick us off, um, and I'm going to I'm going to ask you some questions, Ben. So first of all, uh, you know, one thing that you and I talk a lot about, which is really interesting, is just this world that we live in today with this new digital customer, uh, new in the sense that they are their, their their relationships with brands are becoming primarily digital. Um, they have, you know, tools and capability sets and so do brands to engage digitally. So that that digital customer relationship has become something that uh, is like the, the central theme for you and I. And I think for a lot of brands and and in a world of marketplaces, which are incredibly powerful, they're very interesting. You've got on the restaurant side, you've got DoorDash and Uber Eats and Postmates and Grubhub uh, and others on the consumers on the uh, tr- traditional e-commerce side or consumer side. You have. Uh, of course, Amazon um, as the you know probably the most significant by far marketplace, um, but there's others. So in this world of marketplaces, which are, you know, they disintermediate the customer relationship in one sense, but they also are incredibly powerful and incredibly useful uh, for both the consumer and the brands. So I just think it's such an interesting uh, topic. So let's let's dive in at, at, at the risk of being a little bit controversial, uh, given given the the framework here, I just wanted to sort of dive in and ask you some questions. So, you know, first of all, in, in that world, um, you know, how do you think about marketplaces? Let's just start generally speaking, like just broadly, how do you think about marketplaces and the role they play with the all important customer relationship? Yeah. I mean, you know, where, where my brain goes immediately is to the, the consumer, to the end customer. Uh, and and the problem that marketplaces solve for that end, end customer, um, you know, way back when, when Jeff Bezos first um, decided to start Amazon, the vision wasn't just about selling books. It was essentially about selling anything uh, online that could be delivered um, by a FedEx, right? And the reason why that was the vision is he, he saw the opportunity to essentially create infinite selection, make infinite selection available to customers in digital form, and then provide the convenience of uh, predictable uh, delivery of those goods um, uh, over a a day, a week, and now uh, hours in some cases. And what that that essentially did was started this uh, retail down this path of recognizing that marketplaces were an opportunity to deliver both selection to customers, uh, a much broader selection than what's possible in a physical bricks and mortar um, building, even if you're Costco or Walmart. Um, and then the second piece is convenience. So 
uh, ensuring that there is a con consistent, predictable experience that customers have once they've found the item and chosen the item and, and purchased the item. They know when they're going to get it, how they're going to get it, and how long it's going to take. Um, and those, in my view, those are sort of the two primary pillars of the marketplace value proposition for consumers. And then the third, to an extent, uh, is, um, is price, um, is value that customers are also getting as a part of that sort of selection, convenience, and, and price equation. Um, so that, to me, you know, let, let's yep. start there. Like, that's why consumers, that's why many of us turn to Amazon when we're looking for a product. The first place we go is to search for it on Amazon. I think it's well over, you know, half of all product searches now are done on on the Amazon. Yeah, that that's all, that stat has always blown me away. That that over half of the searches that just people consumers do for products are actually start on Amazon. Um, and, and in a world where Google, you know, for almost anything else, Google is your starting place when it comes to product searches. Um, the fact that Amazon has that dominance is is amazing. You so Ben, you were just describing you know, sort of, you know, why and how marketplaces work. I mean, they work, it obviously works for, it works for the consumer, it works for Amazon, it works for a lot of the brands that sell on Amazon. So, and you were describing, I think what, what Amazon would describe as a flywheel, right? They're sort of their, their marketplace flywheel. And, you know, you and I love that word flywheel. Like we, at Starbucks, we coined a term, the Starbucks digital flywheel to describe how Starbucks uh, had a combination of ordering and payment and loyalty and personalization, you know, all centered on these, you know, really easy to use mobile apps and, and websites and, and sort of the, it sort of created a self energy and just like the marketplace at a flywheel as a consumer brand at a flywheel. So let me ask right. you, if you, if you were, you know, so consumer, let's talk a little bit about brands flywheels. And I mean, you just talked about Amazon's flywheel. Let's talk about the brand flywheel. You, you, you know, if you've got it, you know, you want to create a flywheel effect, uh, as a brand, um, it's not just that Starbucks coined it, uh, you know, even Jim Collins in, uh, he's written a number of things about that, how the importance of the consumer brand digital flywheel, you, you got to figure out how do you create your own sort of energy and self momentum around how you connect these digital pieces and parts, all centered on a customer digital relationship. So Ben, if you were uh, starting a business today, if you were in charge of a brand today, how would you, knowing the importance of the flywheel, how would you, um, how would you think about the um, uh, the marketplaces, and how would you sort of, you know, how would you approach marketplaces if you, yeah. you know, let's start with Amazon for example. But if, if you were starting a brand today, knowing the importance of, a, of your own flywheel, you know, how does the marketplace fit into the flywheel in your opinion? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a, a great question and a, and a critical one, I think, for any brand that is um, uh, seeking to grow um, th their businesses today. I think um, the 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 first place um, to start, I think, is um, marketplaces are a reality, uh, and in many verticals are are the the primary. Uh, channel for for brands, and so one of the things I think that that I would do is um, find opportunities to lean into what what I'll, I'll call leaning into the algorithm, like recognize that that the marketplaces are where your customers are shopping today, often, um, usually, and given that reality find opportunities to uh, ensure that your brand is actually getting discovered 
because what you what you ultimately want is consumers to find your product, purchase your product, and use it, and then come back um, uh, for more later. Marketplaces can be and are um, uh, often a tremendous source of sort of traffic and volume. What they are not is they are not free. Um, and I think you know any brand that's that's participating in the marketplace, the Amazon marketplace, um, would love for it to be uh, cheaper. Um, and so, so in order to sort of get that, get uh, capture the the opportunity that exists with marketplaces, you know, one of the things, and you and I have talked about this, Adam, often is thinking about the marketplace as almost a marketing vehicle. Um, in addition to an actual source of revenue and and contribution profit, it's also a source of marketing visibility, discovery, an opportunity in some cases to start to build a brand or establish your brand, um, uh, which is also an important factor in in how to approach the the marketplace opportunity. I gotcha. So you're saying that. Um if you were sort of drawing the flywheel of your own brand as a manufacturer or a retailer or a consumer brand in general, yep. you, you know, you're saying that you, you would look at a marketplace as one of many touch points. One, one way to think about it's a, it's a sales channel, but it's also a marketing and customer acquisition channel. Yes. Um, and while you, and while the customer relationship might be disintermediated in some sense, and you might not be getting, the direct consumer data, you get purchase data, but you don't get the direct consumer data. Yep. It's just one more thing to add into the rest of your flywheel of other touch points and other things you're doing. And, and you can take advantage of it in, in that way. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's exactly right. I think there are certainly exceptions to that rule where there are well-established brands that have made the um, uh, deliberate choice to not um, sell through Amazon, for example. Um, but I, those are exceptions, not the rule. Right. And what we saw when I was at Amazon and, and just as a, you know, observer, um, uh, from the outside is what is emerging is that successful brands are the ones that, that sort of achieve that equilibrium, equilibrium you're talking about where it, it is a channel, but it is not the only channel and they're using it. Yes. To drive sort of volume and, 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 and revenue, but also using it as a platform to kind of build brand and build discovery and yeah. then leverage that that equity that they are are generating there through other channels and other other touch points. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me because I, you know, whether you're talking about on the on the you know packaged goods or you know econ traditional e-commerce side or on the food and beverage side, restaurant side, I, I agree with you. I felt like when the pandemic hit. Um, those, I'll use a simple example on the restaurant food and beverage side, which I think illustrates the, the point, whether you're talking about food or you're talking about traditional e-commerce is that there were a lot of restaurants that just were doing nothing in the, in the digital space, uh, okay. and certainly around, especially delivery, for example. And there was a moment where they needed to leverage their fixed costs. They need to leverage their rent and their kitchens and their staff um, and and survive frankly and and so uh, one of the pieces of advice that uh, I remember I was giving uh, to folks was if I were in their shoes I would light up the third-party delivery marketplaces right away if you weren't uh, understanding to your point Ben that they're not free you are going to you are you know you are somehow introducing uh, some disintermediation to your own relationship with the customer which is the holy grail 
but but at, at the same time, it would allow you to sort of uh, generate sales, leverage those fixed costs, uh, potentially get customers to uh, discover you, and then they might find you and might find your website, might find uh, find you know find a way to have find their way to a direct relationship with you on their own terms. And I think I think we should talk for a minute and maybe switch the conversation to just the topic of customer relationships and customer digital customer relationships. So in a world of marketplaces, so in that context, you know, I think you and I would say that, you know, as a brand marketer, you should be thinking about the consumer. Um, Steve mentioned this at the beginning of the session when he was introducing us, like, you know, today's session for the the summit today is all about the consumer. It's all about the end customer, the person that's going to hit the buy button, as he put it. And, you know, that, that is, the the figure at the center of the whiteboard that you're going to draw. So in a world of marketplaces, um, let's talk a little bit about customer digital relationships, right? Like, you know, how, um, you know, can you, can you, you know, help the audience here and help us think about like, you know, what are, what are the most important aspects in your opinion to, to building a customer digital relationship? Let's just start there and then kind of work outwards. Yeah. So, um, the uh, we'll talk about data in a second, but the 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 thing that I, I want to kind of come back to to bridge from what we were talking about to to customer relationships is the role that brand actually is playing in uh, consumer choice today. And just speaking from from you know personal experience, I think. 20 years ago, I, I, I felt very sort of strong affinity and loyalty for to a set of brands and, and felt as, you know, um, uh, as, a, as a entrepreneur, as a leader of businesses that brand was sort of core and essential. And then as these marketplaces started to emerge, my thinking started to evolve to, well, brand actually is, is not as relevant as just competing on sort of features and price, for example. And um, and essentially thinking more that, you know, things tend to get commoditized very quickly and that ultimately what consumers want is to find a particular product at the lowest price. And that's what they're always looking for. And, um, and where I think we are starting to come uh, arrive at now is that brands actually starting to become more important again because what customers, and this this is this is supported by the data as well. Um, what customers are really looking for is a, a relationship with a brand that's built on trust. Um, they want to know that when they buy the product and take it home and use it, it's going to be what they were sold, and it's going to work, and it's going to be easy to set up and use, and all of those things. Um, and there's a there's a you know there's a real opportunity there for brands that are selling through marketplaces or brands that are, are selling direct to do the little things that add up to the big things that engender that trust with consumers, which leads to the loyalty um, uh, that we, um, that we're talking about, you know, on the podcast uh, that's coming up, I don't think it's even been released yet. Um, our guest was talking about Matt Oppenheimer from Remitly was talking about, you know, his definition of, of brand is uh, uh, something like um, a promise uh, uh, kept leads to uh, preference. Um, and to me, that's a really, you know, useful kind of shorthand definition of brand. So 
what what customers of ours and what brands can do today is one always sort of have that north star in mind that ultimately the things that you can do to drive those relationships are all about trust and predictability and consistency of the experience that uh, customers are are having with the brand um yeah yeah that no i'm just to just to build on that that's so interesting because what you're saying is you know if you're really going to focus on the customer and be customer centric and that's your north star Yep. And you're in a world of ever growing and powerful digital plat- touch points and platforms, including marketplaces. Um, that means that the if you think about if you put yourself in this in the you're talking about like how does a customer think about its brand relationship? How do you keep your promises to them so you can make your brand stronger? Like from the customer perspective, I think one of the things we're saying is that the customer is more and more channel agnostic. Like the customer themselves, we talk about the new digital customer and their mindset. They, they more than ever before, they don't think in terms of channels. I think one of the things that caused that is this, the the smartphone. So in the last ten years, um, and you you were you made me think of it, Ben, just now because you said you might not have said this fifteen years ago or something or ten years ago, but but today, the the consumer, the new digital consumer, uh, just is walking around with this high speed connected touchscreen computer in their pocket at all times that is connected to every account they have at, at, a, at one swipe of a button while they're just multitasking in their kitchen. Um, and with COVID, that's literally the case. And and that that makes the consumer totally agnostic about channel because they're channel flipping on their phone or on their on their meaning channel touch point flipping literally as they're walking around their house they're, they one at one minute they're on amazon and one minute they're right on your website the next minute they're doing a voice chat with the customer service rep and the next minute the package is showing up at their front door i mean if you right. think about that it's this 360 degree thing and i think what i'm hearing you say is that um that that's just really an important thing to keep in mind is just the the you know if they're gonna if the consumer and the customer is going to be agnostic to channels and going to be surfing and flipping through them that you as a brand have to build your growth strategy and your customer relationship strategy with that same level of um uh leaning into being agnostic to the channels in a sense yeah. does that make sense yeah completely i mean at amazon we call that omni-channel you know a lot of brands will use that term or multi-channel but yeah that's the idea that um, there's a certain level of ubiquity uh, of presence that that brands need to achieve, and then, you know, once once you have 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 a have a foothold in across that sort of vast surface area, then the job is how to get discovered and 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 um, lead the, lead the consumer toward um, toward the experiences that that your brand can deliver that are unique and differentiated and and better um, both before purchase but also and and this is an opportunity that you and I have also talked a lot about is that post purchase um, experience that that consumers have with with the brand which I still I, I just think as a consumer and also given the business we're in I, I think that that is such a huge opportunity particularly for folks that I think are are listening in um, on this on this podcast. Well, say say more about that. I know that you've you've been saying this to me for a year now. Uh, so I love your passion for this topic, like because I think you're right. Like, t- t- let's unpack this. You you always talk about how when I buy something um, from a brand uh, online, 
there's a, I almost always, by definition, I'm going to get a post-purchase, almost like receipt email or some kind of other uh, post-purchase or post-transaction message from the brand. And you've always talked about it being kind of a wasted opportunity to do more. Talk more about that. Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing. So um, there, there have been studies done, research done, looking at um, or charting the uh, level of sort of anticipation and energy, positive energy that consumers have sort of pre, during, and post purchase of, of a product. And what, what the researcher sort of shows is that um, that energy, that, that sort of desire is greatest actually before the purchase because the consumer is sort of in their mind, or I'm sorry, not before the purchase, but before they take possession of the product, um, because the consumer is in the mindset of uh, having that TV up on the wall and how great it's going to be to sit down on Sunday mornings and watch uh, an NFL football game on the new, you know, 55-inch LG TV, right? It's yeah. that mindset that the consumer is in. Yeah. And then what happens all too often is the consumer gets the product, takes it home, and then suddenly they have a, a cardboard box with a bunch of stuff in it that's heavy. They got to pull out the directions and they need to sort of figure out, oh, oh man, how am I going to mount this? And then I got to get it connected to the Wi-Fi, all of these things. And it's it becomes work. Um, and then once they've sort of got it up and running and they're using it, it very quickly, they very quickly get habituated to it. It, it just becomes, you know, not all that different or better than the last TV they had. And that may not be the greatest example, um, given how, uh, uh, you know, technology. A 55 inch TV could be watching the yeah, Exactly. You can tell where my head is these days, but, <laughs> um, but that's, that's the reality and, or, or, you know, ch- choose the product, a, a KitchenAid blender, a mountain bike, a sleeping bag, doesn't matter. What, what consumers are doing when they are making a choice to purchase a product is they are imagining what it's going to be like to actually use it. Yeah. And, the, and in their minds, they're setting an expectation of how, how good it's going to be. That's why they're purchasing that product, right? Yeah. And so what the opportunity is, and, and because digital is everywhere, it's all the things that you just described, Adam, because brands have these opportunities, at least in theory, to enhance and elevate that experience so that it it matches or or ideally even exceeds the expectations that the customers had when they made the choice to buy it brands should lean into that like there are and, and there are some very magical very very cool things that brands can do um, that will elevate and enhance that experience and for the consumer the customer who's who now is using that product um, it will engender the sort of loyalty and and trust that um, will get them to come back. Yeah, you know it's interesting. The but um, and by the way, you know we're happy to take any questions uh, from the, from the live audience. Uh, you know through the chat or however however it's done. Just want to make sure or a Q and A. Sorry, um, so just want to make sure people know that we're happy to do that. Um, but kind of one last topic or two here before we wrap up. One is. Um, Stick, sticking with the theme of customer centricity, being channel agnostic in a world of marketplaces with a new digital consumer, 
you know, we're, Ben, you and I are, you know, we've always been in the business of data on some level. I mean, you can't really be in the consumer marketing space or the digital strategy space and not be analytical um, and also maybe even be data driven. And, yep. and at Starbucks, you know, we use the data from our loyalty uh, accounts primarily to be able to drive, you know, personalized messages and do a bunch of other things that made, made the flywheel go faster. Um, but let's, let's talk a little bit, you know, let's improvise here a little bit and talk a little bit about the, um, if you were, if you were in a multi-channel, including marketplace situation yeah. as a brand owner, you know, let's talk a little bit about how you and I would think about the data. I mean, you don't, you get certain data from the marketplace. You have other data coming in directly from your direct to consumer purchases. Um, if you were the chief digital officer of a brand that had a, you know, was using a marketplace, uh, whether it be food and beverage or, um, you know, traditional e-commerce and direct to consumer, like how would you Ben think about analyzing the data or trying to merge the data between the two so that you can get a better understanding of your customer? Yeah, I, um, I think that uh, I mean this is one of the this is one of the real challenges of of um, over reliance on marketplace and not over reliance but just the the challenges of working with marketplaces um, is that the the availability of the data that you you need to really um, communicate directly with your customers so an email address. Uh, you know, a mobile ID, something like that, so that you can push notifications, a phone number. You don't generally get that with um, the transactions that you're getting, um, uh, that you're seeing through Marketplace. Yeah. So there are a couple of things um, that brands can do. One, to, you know, um, enhance the the data that they're getting, but, but two, to um, leverage other channels and other touch points to, to sort of expand and extend uh, that data set. So things like, um, uh, you know, even kind of back to the, the post-purchase experience that we were talking about before, you know, packaging inserts in, in products that, that give customers offers, you know, those sorts of things, if that's allowable, um, that give customers an incentive to come directly to the, your owned channel. So yeah. your website, your mobile app. I mean, a lot yeah. of brands are doing this today, like the support and, you know, product registration and seemingly sort of mundane um, services that are actually really important as part of that post-purchase experience are fantastic right. ways to establish a direct connection and to start to collect the data that you need to then drive the relationship with the customer directly. Yeah, we actually have a question. Uh, we're getting some questions here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask. Yeah. We'll, let's tackle these together. But before I do, just on that point, that that's and it's a good segue to the first question from um, uh, on, on the Q and A here. We've got you know you there now. There are some in some marketplaces you're allowed to um, to do what you just said, which is you know put a, put something in the package or drive the customer. In some marketplaces, it's discouraged or not fair to do that. And but but I think to an example of what you just were saying, I, I think just to build on it is you as a brand can do things independent of what's in the packaging That's um, right. to encourage people who have purchased from you. Because I'm guessing that most people who have purchased something, even on a marketplace, it's probably to your point about the, the psychological state they're in, it's probably pretty rare that they're not visiting the website of that brand after they, after they're unpacking the box. I mean, it's just a natural human behavior to um, check out the website or look something up. And so as much as you can 
on your own sites, recognize that you might be getting a lot of inbound traffic that's actually coming from your indirect channels and, um, you know, be ready to uh, encourage those right. visitors to establish a direct relationship with you. So I think whether you encourage it directly or it's more of indirect, I just think that that's just, uh, and you have to be patient. You have to play the long game. Uh, one of the questions we have here is, Love the post-purchase conversation. Post-purchase touch points with consumers are particularly difficult on Amazon through a seller like Netrush. Any suggestions of how to do this better? So Ben, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I um, as I was saying earlier, you know, I, I think um, some of the things you were talking about, Adam, in, in terms of establishing a presence through Google search, uh, even buying, you know, search ads on, on, on the Amazon platform, um, or uh, sponsored products uh, ads on the Amazon platform, other ways that you can get exposure for the for the brand that will create some awareness and, and drive customers to the, the channels you own is one. I think two, and, and this is something, you know, Amazon has this feature called buy it again, um, which is, ba it's a replenishment feature. So uh, it's not always obvious that it's there. It's sort of a, a close cousin to subscribe and save, but it, but it, it is what it sounds like, which is making replenishment um, straightforward and simple for, for consumers. Replenishment is one of those things that I think uh, 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 brands like, um, uh, you know, the, the customers of NetRush, big opportunity to go direct for consumers to make the replenishment process uh, seamless, easy, um, advantaged somehow for, for consumers. Um, uh, even, you know, in some cases, recurring revenue, subscription models, those kinds of things, um, lots of opportunities there to enhance the post-purchase experience uh, that leads to more of a recurring relationship and recurring revenue model with consumers. Then yeah. you can get in, into even, you know, once you have once you have the ability to connect and communicate directly with consumers, then you can do some very, um, think about, experiment with some really kind of elevated um, experiences for consumers and it really depends on the on the vertical that that you're in. But, um, you know, in the case of like a, um, that TV example that I gave, you know, proactively reaching out um, on the day when the, the, the product is purchased or a day later or two days later and asking the customer, how is it going? Do they have any problems? Can you be helpful? Um, uh, yeah. Little but, but, like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense, Ben. And I. I Again, I'm not an expert in this area, so I'm going to disclaim this before, and, and, and I'm sure there's many other people that can answer this better than me. I just believe that you can probably, um, uh, you know, there, there's opportunities to put your website, for example, on your materials without being obviously trying to, you're not trying to direct consumers to it in some uh, unfair way on a marketplace. But in, anyways, the... Um, that I, I, I just believe that there is a there is an appropriate way to make sure that on your instructions, on your packaging, yeah. on your product, that your website is front and center so that if somebody wants to go on their own to the website, you're not doing anything to violate any terms. And then, you know, that's and, and you, you pointed out paid digital media other ways just to make sure that, you know, it's unlikely somebody bought something from you in a marketplace and hasn't been engaging with you without your knowledge on either your social channels or on your website or whatever. So just keep that in mind. Next, next question is how, Ben, how do you think AI will change commerce and the customer experience? And I promise this wasn't asked by a Brightloom employee. Well, it's, um, this is such a good question. And, uh, you know, 
Um, the short answer is that it is going to uh, uh, revolutionize commerce and customer experience over time in, in virtually every dimension, everything from you know, operations to um, to price to features to experience and all the rest. One of the things that we are are um, working on now that that I think is from a marketing perspective is going to be um, revolutionary uh, in broadly is, and this kind of gets back to what we were just talking about is the the value of the relationship with consumers and and how valuable it is. What AI can be useful for is to essentially put a number to the value of the relationship with each with each customer. And I don't mean that in a cynical sense. I mean that in a sense of really understanding in a predictive way how valuable each customer, each relationship with each customer actually is or is predicted to be over 30 days, 90 days, a year. And then with that prediction, it, it, it can dramatically change investment decisions that brands are making about things like paid media, um, things like the, the value of a customer relationship driven through a marketplace versus the value of a customer relationship driven directly through the website or a mobile app. And what, what we see is that with the ability to predict you know, customer A, the relationship with customer A can grow to be worth $200 in the next 12 months versus the, the, the uh, predicted value of relationship with customer B, which is predicted to be $50, changes the way you are going to and how you're going to spend and invest in each of those relationships in a way that is, can be a huge unlock and unlock for brands. And AI, machine learning, is sort of at the center of how to do that at scale in near real time so that it so that it works. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a great way to put it, Ben. So AI, predictive models, machine learning allow you to understand the customer relationship better and predict where you should be investing more, where you should be investing less, and how you should be communicating. And so you can both personalize the communications, but also optimize for your business. Yes, you use the other the other keyword, which is personalized. Having a true, I mean, this has been, you know, the white whale of marketers for for decades. But this notion of true one to one marketing, um, we are we are at the at the dawn of of that uh, era, and it's going to be driven by AI, which comes down to optimization and personalization, as you said, Adam. Great. Okay. Next question. I, I might have to answer this question because I'm reading this question. I want to jump out of my chair. So why, the question is a great question, by the way. Why should my brand prioritize or invest in direct-to-consumer experience if Amazon and marketplaces are king? So it's a fantastic question. Um, and by the way, uh, you know, for some businesses, um, that is going to be uh, the, the Amazon and marketplaces are are going to be. King, but I want to say my answer to this question. Sorry, Ben, just to kind of jump in and answer it is, okay. is, is that, and I, and I, I I'm not, I, I know this wasn't the, how this question was meant, but I'm going to, I'm going to purposely say this, which is that Amazon and marketplaces are never King in the sense that the customer is always King. And that's a cliche, but I want to answer this question by saying that by reminding everybody that the customer is King. And even if you're just killing it on a marketplace, right? You should always keep in mind that the customer, like if you don't have a relationship with your customer, 
um, and you don't understand your customer, um, my personal viewpoint is that be careful. You have all your eggs in one basket. You don't have a, a foundation that's diversified and uh, multi-channel and, and, and channel agnostic in the way that you ought to in terms of having a truly firm, you know, they, it, it's funny in, 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 in restaurant world, you talk about like comp, comp store sales. And if, you know, you can, you can do a lot of things to raise your revenues and have great comps, but if you don't have consistent, predictable transaction comp, meaning like your, your revenue growth is based on something that is really going to be repeatable and sort of, you know, uh, and you have a lot of control over, uh, you know, you can be in trouble and you won't get valued as much. And I think the same thing is true. If I had a business that was just killing it on a marketplace, whether it be on DoorDash or on Amazon, and, uh, you know, that could be great. But what happens when someone else comes along and sort of does better than you to get the buy button or does better, you know, what happens if the platform changes some algorithm or rule? Are you going to be prepared to, you know, you built up all this great equity in the minds of your consumer, but not built up a relationship with the consumer. And, you know, I, I might, my only advice to somebody is in the long term, not in the short term necessarily, in the long term, keep in mind that you want to invest in that consumer relationship. You want to be channel agnostic and you don't want to have all of your eggs in one basket. That, but that doesn't mean I would change anything in the short term. I would just be thinking about building foundational elements of my direct-to-consumer relationship so that I didn't have all my eggs in one basket. So that's, that's my two cents on that question. Next question is, speaking of analytics in an omni-channel world, every channel reports data in different ways. How do you recommend lining up the metrics into a dashboard to understand how all the channels are performing? Ultimately, to decide where to invest, is there, is there a magic metric and a companion metric? So, you know, Ben, you and I talk about this all the time. We, we love dashboards. We love our whiteboards, but we love our dashboards even more. And, um, you know, what can you talk about, like, if you had a multi-channel business, sort of how would you be thinking about, uh, you know, metrics and KPIs? Um, I... You know, it's it's I don't think there is a right answer to this question. I don't think that there is a magic metric um, uh, that, you know, will will answer all all questions about, you know, channel performance or the lifetime value of a customer or whatnot. But I do think that um, what is becoming um, really useful and will be essential, I think, in the coming you know years is not just taking a retrospective view of the lifetime value of a given customer, um, which typically means, um, you know, essentially adding up or summing the value of every purchase the customer has made and using that as the, the um, uh, a measure of lifetime value to applying some back to sort of AI and data science, um, applying some predictive model to uh, understand how more recent behavior and this comes down to the data um, that you have access to, but how more recent behavior of a given customer predicts future lifetime value. Um, because, you know, circumstances change, consumers, you know, age out or age into relationships with brands. There's a whole bunch of stuff. It's very dynamic. And so the closest thing I think that there is to a magic metric or will be to a magic metric in this context is, having some mechanism to predict the value of each of these relationships based on, on a set of, of data and inputs. 
and then using that prediction to optimize and personalize um, the experience for, for customers going forward. Yeah, that's great. And I, and I know we're out of time and that we, we didn't get to all the questions that were answered, but, or I'm sorry, asked, but, uh, you know, I just want to say that the, um, uh, uh, you know, this is just such an interesting question. I, and I, the, even of the questions we didn't get to, just to wrap up, I, I'd say, um, cause one of, one of the questions had to do with like, you know, are there scrappier solutions for, um, you know, organizing multi-channel data, et cetera. I, I think at the end of the day, the, the key takeaway, I think Ben, from you and I would be, you know, you know, be super customer centric, pay attention to the data that's coming from the different channels, uh, try to understand them. And, you know, even if you can't invest in a CDP, even if you can't um, uh, afford, you know, the fanciest of solutions, like just, just, there's, I've always found power in, and in, in Ben, you, you know this from experience in, you know, sometimes the, the tool that's the most useful is like a simple spreadsheet or a whiteboard and don't ever, uh, just being able to look at the, think about the customer across the channels, step back and physically look at what do you know about what the customer is doing? Where do you know that they're crossing channels? Where do you not know? Just, just even acknowledging what you don't know and asking the right questions, I think can be really powerful in this world. So on, on that note, Ben, uh, no, I just want to thank you for letting me play host today. Uh, you can play host next time in front of a live studio audience. And, and thanks uh, to NetRush and thanks to everybody for the great questions and uh, for letting us speak today. Ben, did you want to say any final thoughts? Uh, no, this was a lot of fun. I think the only thing I'd add to what you said, Adam, is you know there is always a way into insights. Um, you don't need to let the perfect be the enemy of the good when it comes to data and how you use it to get these insights. Um, uh, and starting with a whiteboard and spreadsheet is a, is a great place to start if that's where you are. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned for our next episode when we are going to be joined by another customer-focused leader as usual. So until then, take care and thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on what Adam and Ben are building with their teams, visit brightloom.com and follow them on Twitter at Adam Brotman and at B Straley.